0: Welcome to the 30th episode of the No Degree Podcast. This is your host, Junaid Iqbal, and today's guest is Jay Taylor. Jay is currently a technical product director at Salesforce. He started his career as an office assistant. One thing he made sure to do was to always take ownership of technology wherever he worked. He did this for seven years and caught a lucky break. He never stopped learning and even founded his own company. He has worked at Expedia and Microsoft also. Learn what Jay did to set himself apart. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash no degree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show is impossible without you. Let's get
1: this show started. So I just want to say that uh, everything that I say in this interview is my personal opinion. It doesn't reflect the opinion of anybody that I currently work for or used to work for.
0: Today, I have a technical director. I think I messed it up, right? What is your exact title? Technical Product Director. Technical Product Director from Salesforce. So what does a Technical Product Director do? Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Sure, sure. So let me back up. So products, product management in general really is about working with customers and helping them to not only understand your product, but then also understanding what they need from you as a company. So technical just means that I work on maybe the technical portions of the project And so for me, it's about infrastructure. So I talk to customers about the way that our infrastructure is set up and I help them understand so that they can have more confidence in using our product.
0: Wow, okay, that's pretty interesting. So what other things do you do at your job? So obviously you do with the technical, what other things are really related to your job?
1: So I think there's there's kind of two parts. So there's the one, there's the working with customers, understanding what they want. But a lot of that though, the purpose of doing that is to make sure that the products that we create are meeting their needs. And so after we get you know that, that information we learn from our customers, we work with the engineering teams to you know help them potentially modify their roadmap if, if they need to change something or just so they can keep in mind what customers are saying. Because sometimes what you perceive that your customers want is not the same thing as what they actually want. And so it's always a, a really good idea to kind of go and validate that with our customers. Okay, so let's take it back. What was life like in high school? would you want to be? Well, you know what? I was fortunate enough to be really interested in technology at a pretty young age. So when I was about, I don't know, maybe about 15, 16 in high school, I decided that I wanted to be, do something in technology. And at the time when I thought about technology, I thought, you know, programmer. And so I started trying to learn, you know, how to program uh, back in high school. And I did like this business co-op thing where you could go, you know, work for, um, at the time, government agencies, because I I worked in uh, Olympia. And Olympia is the capital of Washington state. And so, most of the jobs in the area were government jobs. Uh, And so, that's kind of what I did there. But I kind of knew at a young age that I wanted to do something in technology because I figured there was no ceiling when it came to money. It was super hot in the industry. Obviously, Microsoft was super hot. It felt a lot more flexible too. Like a lot of jobs you have to be in a certain location, but I figured, you know, with technology and you could code anywhere. So, so that was kind of interesting to me. But yeah, like I was fortunate enough to kind of choose, I think, the, the right trend back then. And this was like back in the mid 90s.
0: Okay. So now you graduated high
1: school. What was like the first thing you sort of did? I started to go to like community college um, and I was working. I got married kind of early. So I was 20 years old when I got married and I became a father at 21. Quickly, like my goals were no longer necessarily around school because I didn't have time anymore. So I actually had to get two jobs. I was working to support my family. What jobs did you have? In the Olympia area, like the job to have was to work for government because everybody worked for government. And I was fortunate enough to land like an office assistant job when I was pretty young. I was probably about 18. And so at the time I was making like triple minimum wage. What was minimum wage back then? Because I remember it used to be like three, four bucks. (laughs) Almost. So when I was doing minimum wage, it was like $5. So I was making like, I was making like $15 an hour. So to translate today, that's like- 18
0: is a good amount. 18, 15 is a good amount. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. That's like making $30 an hour today. So that's what I did. So I was fortunate enough to get a, a job in state. So that's what I was doing for a little while. Okay, cool. So now
0: how'd you sort of move up? So you're an office assistant- And what'd you learn from being an office assistant? how'd you use those skills to go to the next, the next leap?
1: I think a, a big part of business is working with people. So I think that, that, that was something that I learned, but I also learned a lot of things that kind of sent me in a different direction too. You know, when you work for government, they're heavy into education. And so everybody was saying, you need to get your degree. And that's one of the reasons why I went, started going to school and the funny thing is, I remember having a conversation with one of my bosses, and this is this is actually what turned me off to uh, formal education. He really wanted me to get my degree, and I was telling him why. You know, like I'm I'm smart enough to do the role. There was a specific job I wanted to do, and his example because I was trying to be a financial examiner at the time. So I worked for Department of Financial Institutions, and we were you know we audit banks and credit unions and stuff. and And he said, "Well, what if you're talking to one of your banks, you're uh, examining, and they're like." you know, they want to have a conversation with you about what college you went to. Like, what are you going to say? And I'm thinking to myself, like, this is the reason I should go to college so that I can, I can have a a random conversation with somebody I'm auditing. I would tell them to give me your financial books and let me do my job is what I would tell them. But anyway, I remember him saying that. and, And what I realized is a lot of times when it comes to formal education, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's no value but it's almost like a it's like a rite of passage like people think of it like like i went to college so you got to go to college and if you didn't go then you're lesser than me and i found that to be pretty consistent when i talked to people right and so that kind of turned me off to formal education and so i kind of i went a different route
0: yeah i mean you see it all the time that you really dig down and it's like oh i need someone who can finish something if someone stays at your job for two, three years, doesn't that count as finishing So, right? There's so many things. And and like you said, you're a father. It's just, you're at a different stage of your life and it's hard to really, there literally is not enough time. It's like, you've got to sacrifice some aspects. So you're working as the examiner. Now, how'd you sort of weave your way back into technology? Because this seems a little more on the financial side. What was the next step?
1: So I never actually made the financial examiner, but that's kind of what they were kind of, wanting me to aspire to and go to college for. But what I always did was no matter the role I was in, I would look for things that were technology related. So whether you are in tech or not, your company uses probably some type of technology. And so I would do is I would go and I would look for projects that were even mildly technically related. So I would try to own updates to whatever software we're using because usually there was nobody in the team that knew how to do it. Right. So I would go out and I would, I would try to find projects and I would reach out and network within the company to try to find projects and I would look for mentorship. Although honestly, I I never really found a good mentor in most of my career, which is a big reason why I spend a lot of time mentoring today is because I feel like it's a, it's one of the most important types of education, but it's really hard to get people's time. And so I would try to get these projects. But then eventually I got to the point where by, by persevering, and doing these side projects, my resume, even though my title would say something like office assistant, a lot of what I did was was as technical as I could get, right? So I was basically looking for someone to look past my title and look at what I did and make that count. And I finally did uh, find a, a leader within government that did. I'm super thankful for her. Her, her name is Maria. Um, she gave me my first chance. That's what started kind of my, my tech career. How old were you around that time? This took me a while. So, so I was actually probably about 25 by the time I landed my first tech job. And it's funny because now thinking about all the things that I did, I could probably have cut my, you know, I've been in tech for about 15 years. I could be where I am now, probably in half the time, knowing what I know now, there's so many things I would do differently, things that I tried, like even the fact that it took me until I was 25. Cause I, remember I was looking since I was 18, it might look like, you know, did it take me seven years? Well, That's because what I did was I kept trying to prove to people that wanted me to have a bachelor's degree that I didn't need one. That's what I was doing. When you try to persuade people who don't want to be persuaded, you know, it takes a long time. What I didn't realize is just don't work for those people. There's a lot of companies. And now the top companies that don't look at just your formal education, it's not even a part of the discussion anymore for me. But I didn't realize that, that there were so many other employers that they didn't care. They looked at other things. And had I known that, I would have started my search elsewhere You know, way sooner.
0: Okay. No, I mean, it makes sense. I think we're always in that boat of, hey, I could have been here so much quicker. But right, that's life. And that's why we mentor. We sort of mentor people. So now what you sort of did was you basically forced yourself to be the IT guy at every role. And that really picked up a lot of skills. So now... You obviously learned a lot. Now you got your first tech job. Now, what was it? And now
1: it was like, now's my time to shine. So what'd you do? So in this role, it was kind of a data analytics role slash software engineering role. And I was doing um, infectious disease analysis for the Department of Health. It was a great role. Team was great. I love those people. I still keep in contact with them. So I did a lot of analysis of data sets and there was a couple of web applications that I maintained. And again, like Maria, she was great. I got promoted, I think twice in 18 months. I was working as hard as I could, applying myself. But then I got to a point where I kind of hit a ceiling and I kind of noticed that. And I don't know if this is true of every organization or, or government itself, but at least in my experience in government, they really wanted you not only to have a degree, but also be older when you're young and ambitious, they still want you to kind of do your time. And uh, I got to this place where I'm like, you know, I want to move faster. I want to go harder. I want to try more things. And I was kind of stuck at this this level. Um, and so I wanted to go outside of government. I was like, okay, government is was fine at the beginning, but I want to try something more. And this is where I kind of ran into the same problem. I kept interviewing at places and they would ask me for a degree or or look and realize that although I had some college credit, I didn't finish and they and I talk about that a lot. I had a hard time getting hired again, and I'm just like, man, what is happening? Like, why, why is it this way? So I said, forget it. If you're not going to hire me, then I'm going to hire me. So I started my own consulting company. I just started my own. I just created a website, started to put some ads on Craigslist. I don't know if people still use Craigslist. Craigslist, and I got I got a ton of jobs, and so I just I started doing the jobs. I started getting experience. I started networking. I was fortunate enough to land a, a relationship with a guy who was just starting a new startup that ended up doing great. Like we won awards at national conferences and I helped build some of his engineering team. And, uh, you know, we got like 35 million in venture capital funding. I found him on Craigslist. But then what I learned was working with all these clients is that I was surprised that a lot of people and clients anyway, they don't judge you on your credentials. They judge you on your ability to deliver whatever it is you said you were going to deliver. So when I would have these client calls, they wouldn't be like, you know, where did you go to school? They didn't care where I went to school. They have a project. They wanted to see if I understood the project. Could I deliver? And so I felt like it was very fair. I was paid and judged based on my work and that was real business. And so I was doing that again. I did the startup, learned a ton about that. I also learned the downfall. If you give the VCs too much control, they start to take over. So that was, that was kind of an interesting experience too, but but then you know like after I did that I've been doing consulting for a few years. This is when the financial crisis started to happen 2008, 2009, 2010. And so I figured okay, you know, maybe now's the time to try like a big tech company. And so that's when I kind of got my first I landed my first role at Expedia.
0: Okay, cool. So now you want to do the tech company, how would they sort of look at your background now cuz now it's a totally different background. You had the Work experience, you had tech, now you had your own tech. Now, how was it getting the job?
1: Here's where I think it got really interesting, and I learned even more. So now, not only have I done some you know tech things in my background, I was president and founder of my own company and was also a you know software engineering director for a very successful startup. So now my resume is different, right and And again, just a few years prior to this, you know, I had just been an office assistant, right? But I kind of took my own career in my own hands and kind of went and did this. And what I found was when I applied at Expedia, most people that work for these big companies have never been an entrepreneur. They maybe went the traditional route where they went to college and they they did internships. Then they got these roles, but they've only worked for companies. And so they don't know what it's like to slave as an entrepreneur. When I had this interview, I didn't have to like prepare for interviewing. like A lot of people do take that approach. They will prepare and study up on how to interview and and I'm I'm very I wouldn't say against that but I think there's a different way. When I interviewed, I just talked about what I knew. I talked about my experiences. I talked about things that I failed at, things that that succeeded for me, what worked, what didn't work, the way I interacted with clients, the problems that I helped solve. I just talked about what I knew and that was it. Initially as as kind of a temporary role, it was like a temporal. I think it was only supposed to be like 3 months. But again, you know and i tell people this too even taking a temporal totally worth it because one of the most important things you have to do is network and meet people so even if it's just for three months or it's short term do it because now you have exposure to other people in the company and now's your opportunity to work hard that's what i did so i had a three-month role and i busted it hard like my my job was to build some analytics for some like desktop encryption stuff they were doing I had never done some of the stuff I'd never done before. So I just, I studied and I learned as as quick as I could. And I was out there, I was networking, I was meeting people. I was you know, also coming up with my own ideas. Because again, this is where the entrepreneurial background comes in. Nobody's gonna give you a list of do A, B, and C. Your job is to figure it out. And you'll find that a lot in tech careers is most of what you do, some of it has never been done before. So nobody's gonna give you a manual. You gotta be really good at being, you know, very entrepreneurial and, and kind of think of this stuff on your own. So that's what I did. I kind of started talking to people about ideas while delivering what I said I was going to deliver. And within about two months in, they offered me a full-time job. But what was really cool about it is that they told me that I could write my own job description. That's the best. <laughs> they were like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, <laughs> I got a lot of ideas. And so I started, you know, writing what I thought I wanted to do for the company, but it, it ended up being a great experience. I was at Expedia for about uh three years and during that time, I was able to build three different software engineering teams. So, got to know a lot of great people, great contacts, people that I still stay in contact with today. It was a pretty great experience.
0: When you created your own role, how did it feel? Because that's a very unique position that you can only get that through networking, right? Networking and delivering and performing during your time there.
1: So, again, I had a, I was fortunate enough to have a great boss. Her name Suzanne. She's great. She had a lot of faith in me. And, and again, like having a, a really good manager, that is the key to whether or not you like or hate your job sometimes. And she was great. And I think I was able to, to give her a pretty good impression. I was young and ambitious still. So, you know, I had a, maybe a little bit too much of excitement, but I think that, you know, there was a lot of people that could see past that, that, that I meant well. But yeah, I mean, she was great. I think uh, showing your potential. Being excited about the work that you're doing, doing the right thing, no matter what, like those kind of things start to, to matter a lot. And people, people pick up on that. And actually she was the manager that hired me, the initial guy that hired me for the temporal. His name is Mike. Also a great guy. Like I keep in contact with all these guys. He was great too. Like, I mean, he gave me the opportunity to flex a little bit, right? Like there was, there was things that he wanted me to do, but he was cool with me trying other things and, and, you know, experimenting. And I think when you have a leadership that lets you do that, that's when people do their best work. What would you say is your, like something that really stood out when you were at the Expedia group? Super innovative, you know, like they had some really, really good leaders, good people. That's a lot of fun. Like it was a, it was a really fun company. It's funny because some of the most innovative things that I worked on, even, you know, this was back in, you know, 2013 to 2015 are still more advanced than some of the things that I do now, which is kind of funny because I feel like some of the best things that I worked on was were were at Expedia, but super innovative. It was an open culture, depending on the group. I think when you have a big company, you know, different groups have different culture, but yeah, I had a really good experience at Expedia.
0: Now, why did you sort of leave Expedia and what was your next step? I mean, your next step was pretty big.
1: So I think I kind of outgrew Expedia. I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying, even when I was in government, like I, I always wanted to push myself and go, go harder. And I remember even back when I was in government, my dad, my dad told me, he's like, Hey, uh, you should go work for Microsoft. And I remember thinking, no, 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 no. You know, Microsoft, those, those guys are like the smartest people in the world. There's no way, there's no way. But lo and behold, after Expedia, I was able to land a job at Microsoft. And that was pretty significant, I think, in my career. It's interesting how like once you get jobs at some of these bigger tech companies, you're somehow like on the map. Now, now everybody wants you. And it's funny how that works, because as soon as I got my role at Microsoft, everybody started hitting me up. I was getting recruited regularly by Amazon and Facebook and Google and all the time. And it's still now. But yeah, so I was able to to go to Microsoft because I wanted to try something a little bit bigger Expedia at the time, I think was like, like a $10 billion company. And then Microsoft is like, you know, trillions. So the, the scale is, is a lot different. Um, So I want to see what that was like. And Microsoft, Microsoft was a great experience, but it was very different. And I think that's just because they've been around for a long time, you know, 20 plus years. And so the culture was different. Uh, the way that they communicated was different. The tools they used were, was different. So it was a very, it was a very different experience, but all in all, you know, Microsoft is a, was a, a lot of fun too. Met a lot of good people.
0: Now, what were you doing at Microsoft? Cause you're a senior engineering product manager. So what does a
1: senior engineering product manager do? So what I did at first, well, I played kind of a consultative role within Microsoft. And maybe that was because that kind of matched my, um, you know, experience pretty well. So I would actually work within Microsoft to help them learn how to use Power BI, which was a a pretty major analytics tool that they used. But then eventually, because of some of the work that I did teaching people about Power BI, the Power BI team within Microsoft was interested in me. I went over to that team and I owned a lot of the business websites. So this is when I got kind of exposed to marketing and working with product teams and working with uh, engineering teams and kind of being able to bring all of that together into a cohesive product. And, And that's kind of what I did at Microsoft.
0: Before we kind of go to the current role, you had a lot of achievements.
1: What were some some of the failures or the mistakes? Well, I probably can't talk in detail, but what I'll say is, when you own production services and you make a mistake, you have to learn from them, right? So, a, a big part of, I think, the, the education that comes with work experience is how you handle those big mistakes and and making sure that you don't make the the same ones again, right? Like everybody makes mistakes but if you make the same one over and over again i think that's where you start to get in, get into trouble and there were there were some times i will say throughout my career where i owned some kind of production service production as being its live right there were precautions that maybe should have been taken that i didn't take or i would assume certain things were done that weren't actually done you know i learned this phrase from another leader at expedia trust but verify You trust people are doing the right thing, but, you know, it's okay to just double check. People might get a little bit annoyed, but if they understand that you're checking because you care about the success of the project, they're okay with it. Yeah. And what were some other
0: skills that you really picked up? Because it seemed like you were very good at networking and you're very good at presenting yourself and just being an overall person that communicates well. How'd you sort of
1: get good at that? I think um, I'm naturally probably a talker, probably anyone that knows me will, will say yes, definitely. I think though, you know, you hear that the phrase that, uh, you know, to separate like business and personal. And I don't think that that's right because business is personal. Even social media, I think is teaching us this a little bit, but people want connection, like real connection. You just have to actually care about people and what's going on in their lives. And you build relationships that way, Let's just be a good person. And when you connect with people care about how their day is going, when you hear that maybe they're going through something, you know, just see how they're doing, you know, like, and I think if you take an active interest in people, people take that same interest back in you because at the end of the day, especially in tech, a lot of us within, especially big tech companies, we change jobs a lot. And so, yes, there's, there's an amount of loyalty that you have to have to your company, but you got to have loyalty to people. You know, these, you're building relationships that will hopefully last your entire career. I make it a point to stay in contact with people that I used to work with five, 10 years ago to see how they're doing. You know, it's good because it makes work more fun because it's way more fun to work with people that you like. And at the same time, you can help each other out in the future. Like there might be times where. You need help finding a role and, and maybe they'll refer you to a role. That's happened a few times. So really, I think networking is about just being a good person and, and just trying to make friends, you know, care about what people are doing. And, and that's definitely how you build it. it. I would say like nobody likes to be just like sold something like, hey, how you doing? Why don't you buy this product? Nobody likes that. But if you get to know someone, then if you give them, you know, sell them a product, hopefully it's because you know that they need it. And so it's not like you're selling them're you're, a- you're actually helping them, and that's what it'll feel like because that's what it should be versus just trying to you know like a cold call or something
0: you hit it right on the money, whereas like there are some people who I know and I don't care that they charge a premium, I want them right, and they sort of know what I need, they know my company, they know what my goals are. And it really makes a big difference. And you hit a great point where it's like, a lot of people don't even network with the people that they used to work with. It's like, once you leave the job, it's it like, okay, cool. Maybe I'll I'll
1: hear from you, maybe not. And you lose a lot. It's interesting because even because of my years at Expedia, a lot of people, you know, have kind of moved on because it's been a while, but because of that, because I've kind of stayed in contact with them, I know people from Nordstrom and Amazon and Google and Facebook. And these are all people that I used to work with at Expedia, but I just keep in contact with. And so like, if I ever want to change roles or I'm thinking about a company, I can just go talk to that person and say, Hey, you know, what's culture like at that company? What do you think? What do you think about it? You know, now I don't have to like, google it i can just ask somebody because i know people that work there yeah and inside info is always so much better because you don't know
0: the person who's leaving the review you don't know hey what department they work at because you know it's culture is different based on the company based on who the role are which office and that's very important to know
1: absolutely yeah
0: how has the tech industry changed over time because you've been in it for some time and obviously now let me know if I'm wrong. is it it's a lot like not having a
1: degree is like even sort of really accepted compared to like before, you know, it's funny because like, I think big corporate companies used to be very like suit and tie, and you have to have an m b a. and but I think the tech world and maybe it's just young people in general have kind of changed it. like the whole Mark Zuckerberg and the hoodie era started. And it's almost. The opposite effect. Like when you go to these tech interviews, it's you actually shouldn't wear a jacket and a tie. Like it used to be that that's what you're supposed to do, but in tech companies, don't really like that. And and I think that's kind of interesting. But at the same time, it's more about your skill level and your ability versus your degree. And I think maybe it's because of software engineering, because a lot of some of the best coders in the world, most of them are self taught. Even if they have some credential, they learned on their own. So obviously their skill didn't come from whatever college they attended. They were coding at night when they got done with school. They were coding on the weekends. They they loved it and they became really good at it. You didn't look, I know, especially me when I, when I would uh, hire engineers, I didn't care so much about their credentials. I cared about their passion for what they did because if they were super into it, they were probably really good and they probably spent a lot of time, learned a lot of lessons and got a lot of skill more than somebody that just did it as a part of a curriculum because they wanted to get a degree. Let's kind of go back. What do you wear
0: to a tech interview? Cuz I'm used to like the finance interview, you show up for suit and tie. What do you wear cuz if you do that in a tech interview, it's just like, all right, this guy doesn't know what what goes on.
1: Yeah, so so some of it is also what I've seen other people wear to my interviews. Now, I don't think you should go like super casual. Like I've had people absolutely show up like in a t-shirt and shorts. And I think that's Personally, I feel like, no, I think that's a little almost disrespectful because it, it makes it look like, you know, this is a pit stop versus a serious career decision for you. You know, I usually wear jeans because to me, that's my casual and I'll wear like a sweater with like a button up shirt under it. It's in the middle where it's like, it's, it's kind of dressy, but it's still casual. Like I'm not going to wear like Cardigan. a, like a suit.
0: Suja- yeah. Cardigan yeah, yeah. polo.
1: Okay. And I try to hit it in the middle. Cause usually I feel like that's kind of a good place to be because you're not overly formal. Cause sometimes too, like I've noticed that companies that want that type of formality have a very, like that very rigid culture, like old school culture. So if, if they're all dressed up in suits and they dress like that in tech anyway, to me, that's a, that's not a good sign because I think the tech industry by nature is just a little bit more casual. Now you,
0: you got the job at Salesforce Where'd you start off at and where are you today at Salesforce?
1: I used to be part of the data governance team. And so if you think about all of the systems that you use, anybody uses, all that information is tracked somewhere. And businesses use that information for insights as far as like to how 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 their own systems run or how their users are using their platform. And they use this information to make decisions. When you have a ton of data like that, You need mechanisms to help govern it so that the data stays clean. Otherwise, the data can become kind of messy. It can produce a lot of noise. It may look like it's implying something that it's not. And so there's a lot of things that you can do to help kind of regulate and govern the way that people process data. That's kind of how I started. I was a a product manager uh, for our data catalog. And so I was just helping people you know, within the company organize the data that we had. And then now, I, you know, I changed teams and now I'm kind of working a lot more with customers. And a lot of my role now is about educating our customers on our infrastructure, ultimately because it's about trust. You know, you have a lot of people that, you know, they're used to running their own tech systems. And so when you start relying on another company to run those systems for you, because you're running on their software now, there's an element of trust because you lose a little bit of control. Part of my job is to help customers feel comfortable that we're taking the precautions necessary to make sure all of their data is safe and that they can rely on us. A lot of it is about, it's technical because it, you know, I have to understand architecture, the architecture myself, but then also be able to explain it in a way where customers can relate and hopefully gain confidence.
0: You also do a lot of stuff outside of work because you mentor kids. Can you talk more about that?
1: You know, I mentioned earlier in my career, you know, it took me like seven years to land my first tech job and, even staying in government too long and, and just a lot of decisions that I made that uh, I just would do differently. And the number one hardest thing that I found is getting a mentor because to me, it makes the most sense to learn from somebody who has the job that you want. You know, my daughter goes to a local college here and I have to remind her because she's doing like game development. And and I would tell her so just remember Take everything your instructors say with a grain of salt, because most of them likely have never even had the job that they're trying to equip you for. And I think there's a there's a fundamental disconnect there. The best people that are qualified to train someone on a job are the people that have those jobs. And so I found it's very difficult in my career to find mentors because people are busy. You know, I think people are just busy and it's hard to get time. And so I've just made it a priority for me to anyone that approaches me on LinkedIn or any, any social media platform. And they're like, Hey, Jay, I want to learn more about how you got there. I 100% always say yes. That's how I've met a lot of my uh, mentees because, you know, there's so much that I can tell them that would help just save time. Like they might try to, to go certain routes that I just don't think work. And it's more than people that don't have degrees. A lot of my, uh, the folks that I, that I work with have degrees but they come across the same problem, right? Like they go to this college and now they're like, Jay, I can't find a job. And it's because employers aren't looking for student or, or people that are educated necessarily, right? What they're looking for are people that are skilled and being skilled is more than just education. Education is definitely part of that, but it's education plus experience plus other factors make someone skilled. And so the real question is, how do I become skilled so that I can get a job? And so I have a path. I'm somebody that used to be an office assistant that was able to progressively get into some of the top tech companies in the world. And so I have a path that I think works. It worked well for me. And, you know, I try to to share that with people because I really wish somebody would have shared it with me. I think I would have saved a lot of time and a lot of anguish.
0: So if you were 18 again today, what would you do, right? In this current environment, not going back in the past, today, like, hey, Based on what you know about yourself, what areas would you go to? How'd you go about doing it?
1: Man, to me, if, especially being 18, if you're young and you've got time and you've got energy, you got to do a startup. You got to build your own. That is 100% what I tell a lot of folks that I work with because it's not the thing about owning your own company is that you don't have to like, you can work another job that pays your bills and start something on your own at night and learn. You know, Education is free. And this is why the education system in itself needs to change because anything you need to learn to become a good software engineer or doing anything in tech, because again, I'm not a software engineer, it's all free and online. So it used to be maybe 20 years ago, you had to go to college to get some certain types of education, but in the tech industry, that stuff is free. You can pay a little bit of money and get some curated courses that might help you. But but the reality is most of that stuff is free. So if I was 18 and I did this over again, I would 100% do a startup. And here's why. It's not super important that that startup even succeed. It's okay that it fails. It's perfectly okay. Because I would argue that failure is a better teacher than success. Because once you've messed up, you have to refine your approach. You got to try something different. And when you're young and 18 you got the time, you know, you're probably not married. You probably don't have kids yet, if that's your case. And you got the time, go learn, go fail and keep learning and keep failing. Eventually you'll probably get a win. And even if you don't get a win, that experience is one of the most valuable things that you can have. Because again, like me, when you do go to these interviews, you don't have to prep for an interview. You know, just talk about what you know, talk about what you did, talk about how you failed, talk about, When you failed, how you changed your approach, why you failed, all of those experiences by running your own company from the business portion, all the way through the the technology stack and the ideation and talking to customers and making sure your ideas sound, that's the best experience you can do. And there's a lot of books out there that I'll, I'll kind of recommend to people to kind of learn some basic skills, but it's super valuable because again, even when you enter the workforce, most of the people you work with have never been an entrepreneur. They don't necessarily know how to how to think like that. And because you've had that practice, it makes you stand out And the way that you think will be different because you're not just trying to finish this assignment to impress your boss. You don't even know what that means because you're trying to make a sale. You're trying to build a winning product. That's what you were doing. And ultimately these big companies, that's what they want. They want people to come in and help them build products that customers love. And the best way to do that is not to do whatever your boss says necessarily. It's to be innovative. It's to come to, come to the table with ideas, right? And you get that practice when you work for yourself because it's all on you. And then even with that startup, there's going to be people that you can find that maybe have no experience, just like you get together with them, do it together, learn it together, fail together. You know, you're going to, you're going to put up websites or whatever you're going to do. And, and sometimes you're going to go offline. And you're going to be up at midnight and you're going to be trying to figure out what's going on. And granted, you don't want that experience your whole life, but having been through things like that, you never forget. And those things that you learn, you carry to the next job and it'll even help you like in your interviews because you can talk about those experiences and then those people in the company, maybe they've experienced it and it resonates with them. And now you have something in common. You guys have both been through the pain of fixing a production system in the middle of the night and you can kind of talk about that. So absolutely, if you're young and have time, do a startup. That would be my advice to anybody trying to get into tech because doing a startup doesn't mean you have to work 40 hours a week on your startup. If all you have is, you know, five hours a week, then work work five hours. That'll still help you get there, you know, at a, maybe a slower rate, but it still counts.
0: Okay, cool. So what are the salary ranges for sort of the roles that you had? Not necessarily your personal, but what
1: are, what's typical? So I would say, and again, like there's a lot of data on this, I would say program and product manager roles, they typically play a little bit less than maybe the equivalent software engineering role. And what's a little bit less? Like five to 10% less, I would say. And this is six figures or high? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like your, your entry level, like, and this, again, I'm talking big tech, you're definitely over six figures for entry level roles for sure. Okay.
0: Now who are the type of people that you see can kind of command the higher salaries, right? Because even within the roles, there's variations. How would you go about commanding the higher salary?
1: To be honest, I think it's about where you work. So maybe you start at a smaller company you work for their IT department. I think my personal goal that I would tell people is to try to get into the big tech organizations. The reason I say that is because the type of work that you're exposed to is work that other companies can't expose you to. The type of scale, the number of users, the size of applications that you deal with in big tech companies is not the same as working at something at a much smaller company. And I think that that's why even within the big tech organizations, they try to get other people from other big tech companies because the type of scale that we work in is different. Because the problem changes when You know, a system has a thousand users versus a million users, your architecture changes. What you consider, all your considerations change. And so I would say definitely if you work for the larger companies, they tend to pay more. But there's, you know, there's a lot of opinions about that. Like I tend to be more of a generalist versus like picking like a very specific domain and and like being an expert, let's say like in security. Like I didn't do that. Like I, I did everything from infrastructure to data stuff to managing marketing websites to data governance. Like I'm, I'm kind of all over the board, but I kind of do that on purpose because I like variety. And I feel like having a general skill set also makes you very employable. Like I think I can fit into a lot of roles really easily. Whereas if you're somebody who's only done security, then people will just say that you're a security guy and they won't as easily consider you for other kind of roles, but. There's pros and cons to that, but, but that's the, the route that I chose was to be more of a generalist. And for me, I think it served me pretty well. Have you ever felt insecure about not having a degree? Have I ever felt insecure? Or has it ever held you back? Well, so maybe early on. Absolutely. Because everybody was like, degree, degree, degree. But what I found was that actually only, only seems to matter when you first start out. After you've been in the industry and you've especially worked at the big tech companies, Nobody ever brings it up, ever. It never comes up. Because of that, um, I haven't been put in a position where I've felt insecure because it never comes up. They're more interested in what I've done and the types of roles that I've had. They don't ask about my degree. I feel like when you're first starting out and if you're competing against a bunch of people that have degrees and you don't have any other differentiators, then I can understand being insecure. But what I tell people is that, sure, I don't have a degree, but I've built two different businesses from the ground up that were successful. And that's not something a lot of people can say. And so for that reason, I don't, I kind of focus on that when they say, well, how come you don't have a degree? I said, well, I went the entrepreneurial route. I built a business is what I did instead. Okay, cool. So let's slowly start to wrap up. How would people get in contact with you? Definitely. You can find me on LinkedIn, Jay Taylor. You can just search for that. There's not a whole lot of us in there. but. uh Absolutely connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to, if, if you're somebody that, that's interested in joining tech and getting it, getting in the, the the tech field, I'm happy to chat. Assuming I have time, I have a a calendar where people can kind of sign up and, and I'll I'll have time because I think this is important. I think that this, especially now, like people are home, a lot of people are getting laid off and they're thinking about what can I do to change my career? And, you know, getting a, a position in tech, it's a game changer. It changes. It changes everything like i i don't have the same kind of worries that maybe a lot of people have right now and i feel very fortunate for that but a lot of it comes with with the being in tech i mean one thing i tell people all the time is that every company whether they think they are tech or not they probably are and they have to be especially now every company has to have an online presence and so when you think about employability even flexibility of a job the amount of money that you can make. There's there's a million reasons to join tech and I'd love to help. So find me on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect.
0: All right. Thank you so much for your time, Jay. I know a lot of people will benefit from this episode. I'll have the links to his LinkedIn in the show notes. Thank you. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at Facebook.com slash No Degree I-N-C. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D. Last name, I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem. No degree.com.
2: Yeah, so you got no degree? No problem. No problem. I don't know. Any problem, we can solve We them. got this. LinkedIn insomnia. Keeps us evolving, growing in and knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. Linked insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. Linked insomnia, keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going.